Hey everyone, this is Josh, back with Cardboard Chronicles. Today I'm speaking with Steven, a collector from Boston, also known as S. Howley 2003 uh, on Instagram and blog. How's it going, Steven? Good, buddy. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, we, we stepped away from the Patriots-Packers game to do this. That's how important it is to you, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely looking forward to talking some cards tonight. Awesome. I wanted to mention that uh, Steven always posts like these really awesome Instagram posts every Friday when he's watching my videos, watching the channel uh, with his beer and his <laughs> his big screen with the channel up. So I appreciate that. that always Absolutely. Me... I, I definitely wanted to uh, pour a beer for tonight, but it's uh, 11 o'clock out here on a Sunday night in Boston. So uh, not a good time to start drinking. Yeah, we need to work early in the morning. Okay, gotcha. Um, so why don't you just tell us about yourself? Give us a little introduction. Uh, tell us about your history in the hobby and... All that fun stuff. Cool. Um, yeah, so I, like a lot of the collectors that I run across, are in my mid, going on late 30s now, 37. Did, you know, collecting was one of the, my primary hobbies back in the day. You know, just running the neighborhood, filling up the backpack, cutting through the woods to the other neighborhood, planning how I was going to get, you know, this card or that card. Um, I've always been a set collector, so back in the day it was a lot of chasing the insert sets. Um, I happen to have collected right in that window where I was a little too young during 86, 87, but I was kind of out of it and into girls by the time like 96, 97 plus rolled around. So I missed a lot of the good stuff. Um, but, you know, we just spent days just going down to the card shop, ripping packs, um, hoping to hit that Jordan or spending the extra money on some um, Skybox Emotion or something like that and, and just ripping through it. Um, and so like hit late high school and just kind of faded out of it went off to college, and ironically enough, I was listening to sports radio back in like 2011, and the guy that I was listening to was talking about how he had gone onto Amazon and bought like some 1984 box of baseball, whatever, right? And like was just like ripping it with his son, reliving his childhood, and I was like, damn, that sounds like a good idea. So I went <laughs> home that day on Amazon, and for like 25 bucks, got a, got a box of... um. 92-93 uh, Stadium Club, which I just back love. It's just, I mean, there's no border to it. It's glossy. I just loved it. And I came home from work, and I ripped it, and I hit my first ever beam team. It was a Kevin Malone. I don't even know who the dude is. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure Adam, the 27 guy's thinking back, and he probably knows who he is, but no clue. And I get to the very last pack, and I beat the odds, and I hit a Jordan beam team. Oh, nice. And I remember just, like, being, like, so giddy, and no one would know. So, like, texting my friend, I'm like, remember I told you to get that box? Look what I hit. He's like, oh, I think I still have one. And that kind of led me down a rabbit hole of picking up cheap boxes, to like, from my childhood. So, like, 1990, you know, 91, 92, up through, like, 95, I would just bust boxes, put together the base set, because I couldn't ever buy that many packs back in the day. Um, and then I started this binder of all the Celtics team sets as well. So if I got doubles, I'd put all my Celtics. And I actually put a picture up on Instagram. It's like a four-inch D-ring binder of just yeah. like Celtics cards from like 1972 up through today that I've spent way too much time organizing. And that was kind of my deal. And then I decided I was going to treat myself. And I got I got this right here. Oh, sick. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. It's the, the Bird Johnson rookie. Nice. Um and I wasn't planning on getting into collecting, but I was like, you know what? I got this like Celtics thing going. I'm kind of having fun. I, you know, let me just pick that up. I just, I just want one. I've always wanted one. Yeah. And I got that. And I was like, okay, Paul Pierce is my favorite player. So I started researching Paul Pierce rookies, and I started, and I grabbed a few boxes of '98, '99 finest. And I was like, wow, Paul Pierce has a lot of rookies. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get all of them. 
Um, and I, I have almost all of them. I think I counted tonight. I think I have 86 unique Paul Pierce rookie cards from wow. inserts, um, autographs, everything. And that was sort of, that led me to the boards, to the Beckett boards back in the day. Met guys like T-Barn and Jay Marchand. Um, came over to Blowout and just sort of been following it ever since. Um, and that's how I kind of got back into it. And now, I, you know, I'm, my big thing is rookie cards. Um, so I have the first chase was a rookie card for every Celtics player that has their number retired which is way too many if you're a Celtics fan. It's just, I mean, they retire everybody's number. Uh, so I completed that when I got my Bill Russell rookie card a couple of years ago. And then I transitioned over to um, any Hall of Famer who ever played for the Celtics because that helped me diversify. So like guys like Gary Payton, Dominique Wilkins, Shaq, um, guys from 48 Bowman that I'd never heard of or, you know, different guys from 61 Flair, et cetera. So that's sort of my my primary focus is the rookie cards, and then I have a couple PC players. I think people know Jay Crowder if you followed me on Blowout, um, Jalen Brown, Paul Pierce. But that's sort of sort of my deal is is following through with the rookies and kind of following the history of the Celtics through cards. So my next question was, what do you collect? And I still feel like I don't know because you you just you're in so many things. How how would yep. you, or what, um, you know, what's what's the reason for all the different things you're into? Um, so I collect what I like, right? Yeah. Um. Well, Paul Pierce, so my main focus is always rookie cards. So I have some Pierce stuff that's not a rookie card, but it was really going all in on all his rookie cards. Um, Jay Crowder, I like just because I'm a fan of his. So um, back when he was playing at Marquette, Big East basketball was on like Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, like just every day, um, every week rather. He was coming off his year. He just, you know, Jimmy Butler just left. He was kind of like his team, and I just grew to like his game. Yeah. So he get so he got traded to the Celtics in the the Rondo trade, and um, his rookies were dirt cheap. Like I could I could go on and like as a fan get his cards and get stuff like the immaculate acetate RPA, which was out of nine for him. You know, his Prism Gold, NTRPAs, like stuff that was like that was chase cards for the other big rookies, but I could get you know, for my collection and kind of just amass this massive Jay Crowder rookie collection. Cause I'm probably the only one that like actually collects them. Right. So, I mean, I, and it got to the point where just like my Pierce one, I've kind of chased as many as I can. So I've got like his exquisite one-on-one auto, wow. which college uni, but I, I followed him in Marquette. So I'm like, that's, that's a pretty cool card for me. And, uh, kept it off last year when I got his, uh, NTRPA, um, logo man, which was a pretty, pretty sweet gig for me. And, um, people have reached out a few times since then to try and get it out of my hands, but I won't let it go because if I do, it's like, well, that's the key card in you know my Crowder collection. If I get rid of that, I might as well get rid of all my Crowder sure. cards because it's it's all or none. Um, and then Jalen Brown, I just I don't know. There's just something about him. A part of it was um, I remember watching a game. It was a five you know five or six games in the season, and he just had this explosive dunk, like just leapt through the roof. And that's not the type of guy that Celtics ever draft. And I was like yeah. watching that. I'm like, I'm into this dude. Um, and then he's, you know, he's he's got some social justice campaigning that he does and some awareness campaigning that I, I really appreciate in the Boston area. So I just sort of started following him as a player. Um, and I like to have a modern player on my team that I'm collecting because I think it adds another edge to when I'm watching the game because I'm sure. hyper-focusing on, you know, their skill development and, and where they fit on the team. And um, 
and I got in on his stuff when it was dirt cheap and it blew up last year and I made some money off of some of my duplicates and um, pretty much financed what I had had just by selling a, a prism. Like I got a prism, graded it, it came back a, a prism silver 10, BGS 10, sold it for way too much money, you know <laughs> what I mean? And um, covered the cost of a lot of the big cards I have of his. So, um, so yeah, that's a really roundabout way. I know I'm kind of throwing a lot at you, but it really is – it's just sort of the focus of the, you know, following my team and um, being able to kind of track the history of my team and then have something that's, you know, live and in the moment to collect as well. So what are you doing with Jason Tatum then, given his, you know, prices? Laughing at the cost. You're just not collecting him? No, um, I'm not. It's just, I, I mean, I've picked up a few singles. I did when the market went way down on him. I grabbed a couple of Prism Silvers. I will not hesitate to, to sell them. Um I have one card of his. I actually hit an optic hollow autograph card, um, which is on, which I think is one of the best autograph sets for the rookies this year. Um, that came back rated a BGS nine point five. I'm going to keep that because I hit it, and if you, if I hit a card, it, it stays with me. Like sure. I just think that adds a whole new level to it. Yeah. Um, but I would much rather put my money into you know finishing off some of these Hall of Famer rookies that I'm chasing um, than hope that the Tatum cards continue to go up because they're, they're, they're astronomical in my estimation right now. Sure. Um, and there's so many of them produced these days that it's tough to, to say exactly what. And he's hit a wall already. And I think, you know, people are already dumping a bunch out there. So, But as a player, I'm assuming you like him as a player given your oh, yeah. Celtics fandom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just... he's, he's, he's dynamic. But as a collector, I'm not, you know, I, I can follow him and root for him and think he very well could be the best offensive player in the – Eastern Conference after Giannis in a couple of years. But as a collector, I don't want to put my money into that because I just don't have any connection with them. Sure. Um, just, there isn't that, that drive for me. And if I was buying his stuff, it'd be in the hopes of selling it down the line. And that's just not my primary focus. Gotcha. So you have a bunch of cards from all different eras. You've got, you know, you mentioned like 48 cards. You've got modern cards. You've got sort of like the 80s and 70s and 90s. You've got everything. <laughs> so... Is there something in relation to like the history of the game that kind of drives your collection and you know keeps you interested and keeps you connected to the game? Well, okay, so this is the so I actually bought I know the glare is horrible right now. I don't know if you can see that at all. Yeah, we can so see this it. is yep. So I actually picked up my second forty-eight Bowman um, today. Actually, it should be get shipped out. This is the first one I ever got, and I got this because it's. It was the first ever national release basketball card. You know, 1948 Bowman was it. A couple of years later, and then they didn't produce them afterwards. They got sold to Tops, and then Tops waited till 57, 58 to do another basketball release. But I also, I'm into it. Like, I remember getting that card and being like, damn, my grandmother was like 20-something when this came out. Like, what was going on? You know what I mean? It's not even just that. You know, that was – the NBA wasn't even the NBA at that point, right? It was just forming – it was, I think, the BAA, they called it, or the BBA. Um, and you had these teams that were, you know, the Lakers were actually near a lake, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and the Jazz were, you know, actually, you know, where jazz music is. You know, you had all these teams that were just forming, not existence yet. Um, and to think about what was going on in the league in our country at that time, and then to have an artifact from that, that I could pick up and just, like, have that's connected to this sport that I'm so passionate about – just really kind of echoes with me. Um, and then also, you know, it doesn't hurt that as a Celtics fan, 
you know, the 50s and into the 60s was when they won 11 out of 13 championships. So, like, a bunch of their retired guys, I think I have a stack right here of, like, seven or eight 1957, 58 um, nice. rookie cards, you know, topped off with Oof. the greatest winner of all time right there. What's the grade on that? Dude. Uh, five. That's nice. Yep. That's awesome. Um, so to have have these, these players that were just, and not Grant, they were – playing, you know, six or seven other teams in the league. It wasn't 30 team. It wasn't, you know, LeBron and Michael at their prime. Right. But to have cards that were printed of those guys back when they were doing what the Celtics are known for, for having all those championships, just really kind of sets the groundwork for, for my collection. Then to to learn, every time I get a card, I research the player too. Like, when do they come to the Celtics? What, you know, how do were they drafted? I don't know if you've looked into, like, the draft rules back then of, there's basically, and I'm, somebody that knows way more is gonna gonna shake their head at me. But there's basically like two drafts where you had your local kids that you could draft, and you had more control over them, and then you had your your you know full net um, nationwide draft. And Red Albrecht seemed shady as hell, and he could just manipulate it and bring in guys like Tommy Heinsohn and Bill Russell at the same time, and <laughs> it just it, the whole story of all that stuff fascinates me, um, and the architecture of it, and how these great teams came to be. And the history of the Celtics versus the Lake is going all the way. I mean, it goes back to that. And it just went decade after decade, you know, blowing punches at each other. And I just, I just, as I get the cards, I read more about it. And it sort of drives my, my knowledge. So I feel like that's something that we sort of like forget about and it gets lost in the hobby, especially with like the modern stuff with just how, how much stuff they're printing, you know, like I feel like the, the separation between the hobby and the game keeps getting greater with, with the modern stuff. And like you said, with the older ones, it gets you to like research and, like learn more about the history of the game, which is what yeah. I think uh, you know we need to do more of in the hobby, especially back then when you only had one card to choose from. It's like right. you're collecting for the player, not for all these like crazy parallels and all this stuff. Right? Yeah, yep. And it's you know, and when you think about, and then you think about like how the players stayed with the team. I mean, it, but it's also a different sport now. You know, it, sure. it's tougher to be connected to the players. It's tougher to be connected to the teams. I feel like. Um, but it's, I, I do also feel like there's a lot of people that collect that maybe aren't as much of a fan. And we, we know there's obviously millions and millions of fans that aren't collecting. Whereas I feel like back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, there was a much larger connection between collectors and fans. And they came together, they talked about the sport, they talked about the stats and they used the cards to drive that yep. as opposed to, we now use the stats to drive the price. Right. And it, it, I miss those days of sitting back and like talking about like why I was chasing Alonzo Mourning and not Grant Hill and Shaquille O'Neal and comparing that. And it wasn't about because I wanted his cards to be more valuable or because no, I've I'm learning about his team and the coming out party and the playoffs against the Celtics with, you know, Larry Johnson and him and, and why I didn't think, you know, Grant Hill was going to be as powerful. Now I was wrong. Grant Hill, if he stayed healthy, would have been a much better player. But you used the cards and you looked at the stats on the back and you looked at, you know, where they were drafted from and you, you brought it together and the, the cards in the in the sport went together as opposed to, you know, where the hobby's at today. And I just think I like going back to that older time and like looking at the stats and reading about the players and, and being connected through the cards that way to the sport. So with the modern stuff, are you more picky then? Like I've seen... You've got a lot of the shiny stuff, like you and I were just yep. talking before. Like we still like the shiny stuff, so yep. some still of the newer like the cards, stuff. you know, they look a lot nicer than the older stuff. So we you still have to kind of like, um, you know, grab some modern to fill that that void. And but I guess you're just more picky there. 
I'm more picky about the players. Like, I have to have a connection of the player that makes me want. Like, that's why when you asked about Jason Tatum, like, I, I love him. I, I hope he pans out to be the top 10 player in the league that people projected him to at the end of last year. You know, I think that's great. But there's nothing about him that makes me want to collect his stuff. You know, it's it's more like I have to get – I like the underdog type of players. Like I, for a while I was chasing um, Terry Rozier. I ended yeah. up selling off a bunch of his stuff just because he – his first start last year he had a triple-double and people went crazy. And I just kind of threw some stuff on eBay and sent it on its way. Um, but there has to be there has to be something about a player that says, you know what? I like what that guy's doing. I want to go grab a rookie card. And then once I do – it can be all. It can all go downhill from there. So once I got, you know, um, once I got a couple of Jalen Browns, you know, and I was liking his game, and you know, they weren't that expensive. I happened to sell a few things, and you know, his gold prism popped up, and I was like, oh, let me take a shot at it, and I got it. It's like, okay, now I've got the gold prism. Now what other cool stuff can I have? And now it's, you know, then then that's where sort of that completionist comes in. Now I know I'm not going to get everything of his. Like I. I actually don't like the nineteen, uh, the two thousand sixteen, seventeen, and um, NTRPAs. So I just have not gotten them. I didn't, I didn't like the design at all, um, and I'm never going to be able to afford one of his rookie logomen. So like, I know I'm not going to complete or even come close to it. But I want to get as much as I can from his rookie year. Um, so once I get a player that I want to collect, slippery slope. But if there isn't anything that makes me take that initial jump in, then I'm just watching the games and enjoying the sport. Sure. Um, so next topic, you're you're really active in the community. You're on Instagram a lot. We we chat on Instagram. You're on Blowout. Um, what is it about being involved that that gets you excited about the hobby? And is there you know something else that um, you know you get out of being so involved? Um, I go on all the time. So if I talk to my wife about cards, she just rolls her eyes at me. Right? No. But it really it's <laughs> being part being involved is really what makes it enjoyable, right? Like sure. Um, and I had a conversation or a little back and forth with one of the threads the other day, uh, a couple weeks ago, with someone that was posting, um, they're on Instagram now, posting this intense Carmelo Anthony collection, right? And I can't stand Melo. I just think I have no use for him. But to see someone that jazzed up about their collection, I can relate to that, right? Yep. And so that having that be able to have that conversation and respect that collection while, like, if I never saw him step foot on a basketball court again, you know, it's like this this odd dichotomy. So being able to connect with people, talk about it, and then um, I got in, when I first got into the hobby, um, the guys over in the Beckett forums back in the day, they taught me so much about you know how to check prices or what sets are out there, or like even what what's going on in the hobby. I hadn't opened a pack of cards, you know, in fifteen years. Uh, that I, there's also part of me that wants to give back too, you know, like share some of that information. Um, but the more people I meet. Um, the more I learn, you know, we are always learning things. Um, and I just like being part of that community. It just, it, I don't know. I mean, I know without the internet, I wouldn't be into the hobby the way I am. Cause I just wouldn't have the information base or access to it. But without the back and forth and the personal connection, to other collectors, like the guy, you know, Jason and yourself and all the guys that I've touched base with, I don't think I'd be that, you know, energized by it either. It'd be just like, like a, pile of pictures of guys and you know especially when you're at the point where like some of these guys are younger than you it's like oh that's kind of weird sometimes yeah but it's about the hobby itself and, and you need that that connection to others in order to drive the hobby because it's not a hobby you can really 
a hobby you do by yourself isn't really a hobby. You have to have something more that you get out of it. And so really being, uh, spending the time, you know, I never thought I would have gone on to Instagram, but I actually think it was, maybe you talked about in one of the first videos and I was like, wow, I never even thought of setting up my own Instagram account just for cards. Cause, uh, my other hobby is mountain bike. And so I had one just for mountain bike and I was like, Oh, I can have a second one just for cards. And like, since I've done that, it's been a game changer for me. I, I don't, I barely post pictures of cards on blowout anymore. I just go in for it to be part of discussions and then I can share my collection on Instagram. It's easier. It's, it's quicker. It's more feedback. And I just, yep. I really enjoy it. Yeah. It was like the way apps are on our phones. We could just switch from blowout back to Instagram so quick that like, yep. they're almost one in the same at this point. We just, we yep. talk to the same people and one's better for photos and one's better for threads. So absolutely i sometimes i uh like when i get mail days and stuff i have like my little setup over here where i look at my cards and i look you know i get a big mail day and i look at it and i'm sort of like when i'm by myself it's like enjoyable for a few minutes you know and then it's like now i gotta text all my buddies and send them pictures <laughs> and then it's like oh now i'm really excited right as opposed to just yeah. me in my cave like staring yep. at pictures yep and there's nothing i think there's nothing better than when you get something and and somebody asks a legitimate question about it too, you know. Yeah, I mean? Like totally. it's, it's cool when other people get jazz, but like if it's something they hadn't seen or they were thinking about picking something up similar, and like yep. then you get that back and forth, and I'm like, wow, you know, that's really cool. I just was able to engage with someone because I posted a picture of a picture, yep. you know. Yeah, the like the galactic questions I get are my favorite right now. Like I don't even know that much about them, but people, you know, are starting to associate me with them, and it's fun to like talk back and forth just about that one yep. set. Yep. Fantastic cards! Oh yeah, they're very shiny. How many have you? Have you, have you? What's that? How many have you picked up now? Not many. So I've got I've got three. Um, so going back to I got a, a smart and an Avery Bradley. Um, neither rookies. And then um, right away when they first came out, I got a Jalen Brown Galactic. Um, just because I've been I've been on Revolution. Just as a as I said a. I go back to my days of being a set collector. I just think it's a gorgeous set. It's a sm- it's a smaller set. Um, hobby boxes are relatively inexpensive. You get on card autos, so if you hit one, you happen to hit some nice stuff. So I've been um, I've put together the base set of um, Galactic every year since it came out. Um, and so once I saw not Galactic, sorry Revolution, but once I saw the Galactics, I was like, now that's cool because just like you said, it's not serial numbered. You don't know what's out there. And they're gorgeous, you know. They're just, and especially that first year. What got me in that first year was it didn't say Galactic on the back, so you had to sit there. Yes. And I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if you've got one in your collection. I haven't looked at all of yours, but they're not as defined of a graphic in that Galactic Shimmer as the other years have been. So you really have to take a look at it and be like, "Am I seeing what I'm thinking? I'm seeing." It's sort of a, it's not as stark of a, a crispy um, Galactic look. It's sort of more rounded. Um, and it fades into the background a little bit more. So I just thought that was so cool. It's like, do I? Yeah, I oh, I got one, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like the first year of Finest Refractor, you know, 1993 90, uh, when they didn't have yes. Refractor on the back. I remember opening um, Finest Baseball and doing that. Like, is yeah. it? It, it would, sit, would go outside. would go outside yeah. and hold into the sun to, to go back and forth with them. Yeah. <laughs> People post the scans where it's like, you're not quite sure if it's a refractor. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, is that the light hitting it wrong or is it just flat light? Right. Um, so before you told me you had a family and you also mentioned that you work three jobs. Can you just tell me about that, how that affects your hobby and, you know, um, how you use that to maybe help pay for the hobby? What, what's that about? Um, yeah. So full-time gig is I'm a, a school psychologist at a high school. Uh, been a career that I've been involved with for about 10 years now. Um, 
other job is part-time tutoring, which is a private gig, so it pays really well. So that's sort of my wife and I sort of supplemental rainy day income. And then my third gig is I've just ever since in college worked at ski and bike shops. So you know, I'm a public school employee, I get summers off. Um, so I'll do I'll do wrench work, uh, bike tune-ups, repairs, and stuff over the summer. And that's my that's my piss away money, right? Um, so I'm really I'm passionate about mountain biking. And then I have this this hobby with these cards. And so whatever I work over the summer, if I, like today I spent today, um, I helped the the shop put on a um, mountain bike event. You know, I'm gonna get gonna get I don't know 150 200 bucks for it. That'll go into my bank account. And if I see something cool on eBay, whether it be uh, new bike tire that you could probably care less about or new galactic that you'd be really excited about <laughs> and i then i have that that flex money you know what i mean yeah. so um and just having that 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 spare income you know wherever it comes from for you i just think makes things a lot more enjoyable because it's it's money my, my wife doesn't ask about it's money that i'm not you know expected to pay out um and then i have the other jobs that we can balance out and and we can make a little more with my tutoring job if need be or if we're you know doing all right we can take a little more time off so um just allows for that balance of having a set income and then just add a little extra side money that's smart to separate your card money i feel like oh you have to you have to or it can it can end up in a in a dark area pretty quick right you know if you if you don't if you if you're setting it aside, you know exactly what you have and what you've put out and taken in. If you yeah. don't set it aside, it can get clouded in with all the other stuff and either. Um, I mean, I don't think it's bad to think you don't have money for cards. I think that's pretty healthy. But you could also think, oh, you know, I guess I got a little extra, or you know, I haven't spent as much on cards recently, so I can afford this, and then maybe you can. I mean, I think you really have to delineate. Um, I, I look at cards as something that I'm not going to recoup a lot of money from if I, cause I don't plan on moving them. Um, I do, like I said, with stuff like, um, Terry Rosier when he blew up last year or, um, the 27 guy will laugh when I mentioned Isaiah Thomas because I sold a card literally five days too early to him. Um, but when Isaiah Thomas blew up, I did move all my Isaiah Thomas stuff and made a good chunk of change, but I bought them because I liked the player and I had the money to do so. And then when they, you know, became valuable, I sold them. But the other stuff, like I don't plan on ever moving my Paul Pierce stuff, even though I do have, you know, a rookie Ruby. I have some rookie autos. I don't plan on moving my Bill Russell anytime, my Larry Bird rookies. Like I, I bought those to have them and enjoy as part of the hobby. And so if I, you don't delineate your money, you know, it's just you got to kind of be careful with it. Plus those older guys, like their careers are locked in. And, you know, you don't have to worry about some giant spike yeah. or giant crash. Yep. Yeah, they they seem to the the true Hall of Famers seem to just creep up a little bit every year. I think more. I think I paid probably two hundred for my bird rookie back in the day. It was a lesson learned. It was a BCCG ten. I was like, oh, it's graded back at ten. Must be great, right? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Uh, let that learn that lesson quick. But I paid probably two hundred bucks for it. Came back. I crossed it over PSA as a seven. I actually looked before this just out of curiosity. I think the last PSA seven sold for around three hundred. So that, I mean, it's gone up a little bit over the last six years or so. But it's not. But it hasn't had major spikes one way or another. And I think a lot of the the true vintage stuff is is in that direction of you know small incremental gains over time. I have a question about vintage because I'm sort of like dipping my toe in it. I haven't bought anything yet, but I'm sort of just looking at it. I feel like. When you buy vintage, you're just like, that's sort of it. Like, you just have it. You know what I mean? Like, if I would want, like, a 61 Wilt, like, I would mm -hmm. just buy it whenever I want, and then I have it, and I'm done. There's not really, like, this chase or, the, you know you know what I'm saying? 
Well, I do know what you're saying. Um, and so for part of the chase is when do they come available, right? Yeah. So like there's so I bought I bought another um, I mentioned I bought a forty eight um, Bowman today as part of my Hall of Famer collection. There's one more Hall of Famer, um, Andy Reason that I have to get. His stuff never comes up, especially already PSA graded. So forty eight Bowman, I'm hoping for stuff in the PSA three to PSA five range. That's probably what I can afford. So it's looking for it to come up, and then um, what's the price point? Is it for auction? Is it a crazy buy it now? But then the other thing that I don't get into that some of the vintage guys will get into is buy what you can afford, but then there is massive difference in prices from just one grade to the next. Yeah. So the difference in a, um, a Russell rookie from a PSA 5 to a PSA 6 is massive. So then it's about can you buy something now, really enjoy it, but what if one that's just all white around the borders, just has that deep color that you want and nice white around the borders, that's one grade higher. Have you maybe gotten a little incremental gains in your 61 Wilt now that you could sell that and then buy into the higher copy one? Um, not my style, but I think that's the other thing is people are kind of looking at when can they upgrade their version. Um, I'm more into picking some of the vintage sets that you really like and picking up some some players and learning about those players, right? So if 60 if you like 61 flair because wilt's in it there's some there's a there's some really cool cards in that set that's a great set there's some great hall of famer rookies um some of the stars from back in the day there's a um there's a, i don't know if it's not an insert set cause it's part of the base set but they have their base card then they had sort of their highlight card of you know their dunks or whatever yeah. um so i'd be more like get a wilt and then what other plays from that year have a really cool 61 card that I could pair up with that and kind of have a little, you know, small pile of 61 flare cards? Yeah. yeah I think I just need to buy one just to see how it feels. <laughs> just test the waters. Yeah. With a, test the waters. Maybe like a cheaper, you know, a cheaper guy or a, a low grade or something. Yeah. I, I would definitely recommend, um, you know, like 61 Flair, you can't go wrong with. I don't think you can go wrong with um, 57, 58 tops just because it was sort of what kicked off um, the hobby. There's some really cool stuff from mid 60s, you know, late 60s, some really funky stuff from the 70s, um, some really ugly sets from the 70s, uh, some great photography from the 70s. Um, there's really cool tall boys. Um, 69 tops is a tall boy car that I think is some of the ugliest ones out there, but I got a bunch <laughs> of them, um, because they, they fit my rookie hall of fame collection. So it's really about learning about, you know, take some time, look at the different sets that are out there, see what you like the look of, you know, follow some players, but, yeah. uh, and just give it a try. Um, what else you got, man? What other cards do you want to show and talk about? Um, so I'll show. So I brought one. I brought one for you. It's one of my only LeBron James cards. Nice. Right? He's so part, I'm part not of a, your guy. Yep. Yeah, so I'm not a patch guy. So if I'm going to get a card like this, it has to have a connection. Um, so right, probably like 2013 or so, LeBron gave an interview of the five toughest people he's ever had to guard in the NBA. I remember and this. Pierce was one of them. Yep. Um, and then about a year later, he named Pierce as his number one rival in the league because people were asking about Kobe. And he was like, no, if I've got anybody, it's Pierce. And I just I, – I think Pierce is a little underrated in the league. Um, I don't think people appreciate his entire game. Um, and he – he gave LeBron fits, and, and LeBron really does credit those Celtics for kind of pushing him to be the next step. Um, and obviously, he, you know, had that big take off his jersey and leave Cleveland moment with him, and then he came back with the Heat 
um, and really just destroyed them, you know, himself in those two final games. So having a car, so there's got to be a connection. The fact that there's a connection between Pierce and LeBron really, you know, jazzes me up. Um, I'll like show I, this I guy. Like I need to get a. I feel like I need to get something similar to like reverse the. You know, like I have the LeBron <laughs> connection to that those yeah. Celtics teams. There's um. There's not much out there. There's not much out there. I mean, LeBron, especially with LeBron, you know, being upper deck for all his autographs and stuff. I don't. I think Panini doesn't do a very good job of showcasing. They've done a better job, I think, showcasing him. But I think from like 2011 through like 2014, they didn't showcase him. Not. I don't love all Panini stuff, anyways. Um, I'll show this off. This was my first. I don't know how well you can see that. Pretty well. So this is. Uh, Finite Spectrum. This is out of 25. This is my first um, super short print PS Rookie that I got. Nice. Um, this was a set that at the time was a major investment for me, and I did a ton of research. Um, super sensitive on the grading. Um, I thought I had a shot at an 8, which would have been a huge grade for that card. Um, but they're very sensitive. Um, and then I'll, I'll show off one more before I show. I'll just... So the, and then I love oddball cards. So I don't know if you are you familiar with these acrylics. I ha, yeah I know what the, I've seen this set. Yeah. So I think this is one of the coolest sets because it so goes against today's mo, <laughs> today's cards, right? Yeah. It was a wrapper redemption that you just collected a bunch of wrappers and sent in, but you could ask for any player you wanted. So there's a ton of Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordans out there. You get some oddball dude, or you get I mean D Brown wasn't that odd. He was he was a big Celtics player back then. Um, but you get like one of the coaches cards or something, it could be worth a ton of money to the set collectors because who's going to ask for like, right. you know, the fifth guy off the bench or a coach card or something. Um, so I love oddball cards like that. And um, I love picking that type of stuff up too. So, And uh, I mean, I have other cards here. I'll just, I guess the last set that I'll show is just to highlight. Nice. These are the hoops autos. Oh, wow. um, I can, I can go on. A rant about how underappreciated the early 90s autograph cards are. I mean, there were no sticker autographs back in the day. You had hit redemption cards. Um, and you were talking about players that were in the prime of their time. I will take this card any day over an NT or flawless bird, ma bird uh, magic auto. I don't, uh, to me, uh, an auto, once they're retired, just doesn't do a ton for me. So to be able to get cards from players when they were in their prime, um, you know, there's beautiful, exquisite David Robinson cards, but I would pick something that was out that isn't as, you know, appreciated or loved as much. So, um, so explain those, those cards, explain those cards really quick. So those are cards so that they, they autoed on, on card in yeah. person after? No, these are the real deal. So these were, um, you had it, you hit a, a redemption card um, in packs, and I forget the odds on them. I'm sure someone out there can comment on the video. Um, but these are the real deal. There is the problem with them is that they these are base cards, right? So these cards came in packs. This was a one card insert. This was another one card insert uh, commemorating his fifth year in the league. He was a spokesperson for hoops. Um, so there are a lot of these that are signed in person after the fact. So you really have to do your work. Um, like a lot of the bird magic ones will be in blue ink. Mm -hmm. um, so from what I understand, the blue ink ones were all done after. Some of them you can tell. Um, you really have to reach out. Um, I was on Beckett back in the day when I picked these up, and I, d I did a lot of work reaching out to people that had multiple copies um, because one of the things that's really difficult is there's you're not going to be able to see it on the, on the video, but there's an embossed Skybox logo in there, mm -hmm. um, a stamp. 
Well, Flair went and sold those stamps when they went bankrupt. So people were able to go buy the stamps, take these base cards that are there's millions of them, put the fake stamp on there, and then go to shows or go to games, whatever, get them autographed, um, and then sell them, and they almost look identical. Um, but obviously, they were then autographed 10, 15 years later. So the players, you know, the guys had changed their autograph; they're a lot older. Um, but yeah, these were these were redemption cards that you hit in pack and you had to send in, and they were super super hard to hit. Um, and I can't tell you how many hoops packs I opened back in the day hoping to get one. Um, so when I had the chance to pick them up, I I did that, and they're they're top 15 cards in my collection just because you know my tie back to my my childhood and and how underappreciated I think they are in today's today's hobby. Yeah, I'll admit I I knew nothing about that, so I thought that's a fascinating story that you can. That there were even redemptions that I mean I, I feel that's more of a modern thing but I you know I didn't really even did that yeah and there was um there's a lot of somebody's had a thread on blowout about it um there's a, there were a couple different redemptions autos from back in the early 90s there were I believe pack pulled a whole Carmelone flare ultra set um there's a there's a lot of um underappreciated autos from from back then all on card uh, from players in their prime awesome. Well, if you don't have anything else, uh, we'll wrap it up. That's what I got for you. That was great, man. I really appreciate you jumping on and sharing all the stories. Absolutely. It was great, it was great you know, talking cards, and I really appreciate you having me. I can't wait to watch you post an Instagram of your own face on your TV. You better do that. <laughs> See, I was thinking about that. I don't know if I can because I hate watching myself and listening <laughs> to myself. Like, I, I do public speaking through my job and stuff, and like, I'll never go back and like watch it or anything. So maybe I'll maybe I'll pause it or mute it or something and just like toast toast us, you know, with a beer next Friday night or something. Well, either you do it or I'm gonna do it. So I mean, uh, <laughs> I'll even recreate. I'll get my beer and I'll recreate your uh, Friday picture. <laughs> There you go. I'll leave it up to you then. Okay. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, man.